This is Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. And today I just want to start the program by talking about our deliberate practice program. Yes, it's a very important part of what we do, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, so uh, last week uh, we talked about our, uh, our workshops uh, and I realized that I broke one of our golden rules because we don't run workshops. We only run programs that start with a workshop. And the reason for this is back in 2009, we went and did some surveys of our clients to get their feedback. Right? Because our objective is to restore humanity to the workplace. And to do that, we need people to be better storytellers. Behaviour change, right? It's behaviour change. Yep. Yeah. There's many impediments to actually doing this in the workplace. That's a quite a, a long description, that one. But uh, when we, we talked to our clients, the feedback was mostly, we love the workshop. Fantastic experience, uh, really good materials, great activities, lots of interaction, uh, really simple models, that sort of thing. Yep. But then we asked the most important question, which is, have you applied it and how has it gone? And most people would sort of, oh, um, you know, I was busy and like, that's really hard to do this. And, and, and anyway, Sean and I realized that we might as well have thrown an amazing barbecue. <laughs> right? Had the same effect, right? <laughs> yeah, had the same effect. Yeah. And so that was really that was confronting. We set about understanding how adults learn. And uh, most of the effective learning occurs not in the workshop. Most of the effective learning occurs in the workplace when you apply this at yeah. work. It's the, uh, the 70-20-10 rule. 10% of the learning from the workshop, 20% from mentoring and coaching, 70% from on-the-job application. Actually putting into practice. Yeah. And so that's when we designed the first version of our deliberate practice program. And so we're probably now on iteration number four of that program. And the idea is that we actually invented this Sorry, we invented, we, we designed it so that uh, it was designed for busy people. It takes between eight and 10 minutes, sorry, eight and 15 minutes a week to do the activities. These days it's called micro learning. Yes. Uh, but uh, we didn't we were know, a bit we, ahead of the curve. We, we didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we've got everyone who goes through the program gets this six months of follow on uh, activity to help extend and embed their learning. And this morning, I received an email from uh, one of the participants in the deliberate practice program from India, and it contained the story that is the subject of this week's podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, this is, uh, this is an apocryphal story, which really talks about the importance of not jumping to conclusions. The story is that uh, a farmer walked down, to this, down into a town and went and saw a restaurant owner and said to the restaurant owner, would you like one million frogs? And the restaurant owner goes... What? A million frogs. And the farmer went on to explain, yes, uh, I've got a pond next to my house and there are a million frogs in it. And so I want, they're on the verge of driving me crazy and I want to get rid of them. So do you want these frogs? And the, the restaurant owner went, absolutely, you know, frogs, but I can't use a million at a time. How about we just, you just bring me 500 frogs a week yeah. and that, you know, I'll be able to use them in my restaurant. And over time, you'll eliminate the problem. And so, yep, they struck that agreement. And on the first week, the farmer turns up, sees the, uh, the, the restaurant owner. The farmer's looking a bit sheepish because he's only got two scrawny frogs with him. <laughs> and the restaurant owner said, but where are the rest of the frogs? You, you know, you're going to bring me 500 frogs and over time a million frogs. Here you are with two scrawny frogs. And the farmer, looking sheepish, said, well, actually turns out there were only two frogs in the pond, but they were really noisy. 
The Noisy Frogs. The Noisy Frogs. Good one. Okay, that's fantastic. So, The Noisy Frogs. So apocryphal, just for those for listeners, uh, uh, it means a, a story of dubious origin. Yes, and you can probably tell from the uh, from the story that I told that yeah, uh, dubious origins for this story. <laughs> it, it possibly never happened. Possibly, uh, probably a million frogs straight away. Indian frogs too. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I was sort of hoping for a French frog, you know, and uh, sort of frog's legs or something like that. But obviously, there's another menu item that I'm unaware of. Well, I, I didn't realise that I implied Indian. <laughs> I had I had I had French frogs in my head. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so that's our story. I guess the the question will be straight away. You know, what do we like about this story? What what does it say? What is it? What jumps out? Excuse the pun. What jumps out? Uh, I'm going to stop myself there because I almost did a dad joke. So, um. (laughs) I mean, the thing about apocryphal stories, I think, is that it's useful if they are obviously apocryphal. So the very beginning, just by saying you have a million frogs, you know, all of a sudden you go, what, what, a million frogs? Surely this can't be true, right? You think it's the beginning of a joke or something. And, And I think that's useful for this type of story because... You buy into the, you know, the imaginary element of it, with the idea that you trust the storyteller to make some sort of point, and uh, so I think that's one of the elements that you know, helps make it work. You know, straight away you know it's apocryphal, uh, and I think what's related to that is immediately it's intriguing because of the fact that you're talking about this number of frogs. I don't know when you listen to the end of that story. I know the end of the story, what it means. To me, it means, you know, you've got these two very loud frogs speaking louder. It seems like a million frogs. Eventually, I don't know how many people would get that straight away. What's your thought on that? Look, I'm just going to uh, just self-assess there and go, I, I I came across that story this morning in my in my uh, email inbox from one of the deliberate practice programs. I immediately liked it. I immediately shared it Yeah, uh, with a client, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But, you know, I made the mistake of not practicing it enough and I didn't land the ending. Right, okay. Right? So, and so how... Because you could feel that, could you? Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I could feel it, but I, I could also tell from your reaction. Right, right. right. So like, there's this look is, is that the end? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you should always end your stories on a bang, not a whimper. Yeah. And so there's two lessons from that. One of them is have a strong ending. And secondly is to practice. And I've... Well, I mean, hopefully it's a useful lesson to people that even even Sean and I can uh, can sort of fall into this the trap of telling a story without practicing it sufficiently for it to land effectively. Yeah, right. Yeah, timing. There is a timing element to totally. it, isn't there? And uh, yeah. you know, getting the pauses in the right place. But I, I think, but if also, you- but also rounding it out because yes. that, that that story just ended too it, quickly. It didn't, it didn't bang. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. The the other thing too, I find it's much better to practice and just by telling the story. Rather saying it than, out loud. Saying it out loud, telling people the actual story, using that as the practice rather than overthinking it in the sense of, okay, you write it down and you go, oh, gee, I need to pause there and it'd be better if I longer laid that. You know, I don't think that type of practice works. Well, I'm, I don't think it works either and yeah. I've got – uh, two examples that illustrate that. Yep. First of all, the simple example that just happened, which is that I read the story a couple of times. Uh, the, I did sort of give you an abbreviated version in the preparation yes. uh, of the, of, as you were getting ready for the podcast, but I didn't say it out loud more than once. 
Yes. That's the mistake. Yep. Right? You do not get get better at this by thinking about it. You've got to hear the words come out of your mouth. Yes. Yeah. And so my second point here is that this is such a common pattern. Just yesterday, we've got participants who are learning a strategic story. So we've turned a company strategy into a strategic narrative and leaders in the organization need to be able to tell that narrative. So I get them to read the story. We have a conversation about it. And then I say, now you've got 10 minutes to tell your version of the story to somebody. So pair up and tell your story. 80% of people immediately start writing. Interesting. Immediately start writing. And I go over to groups and I say things like, so here's my prediction. I've given you 10 minutes to prepare. I'll bet that at nine-minute mark, you're still writing. Oh, no, 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 no. And sure enough, I go back to that nine-minute mark. You haven't said a word, have you? Oh, no, no, but I've got it. <laughs> I've got it nailed. And, of course, the, the, the net result of that is that the first time they, they actually think they've made progress, but until you say it out loud, you haven't even got to your first draft yet. Yes. So – and this is, a, this is a tendency, and man, I just walk straight into that natural tendency right there. So there's yeah. a bit of a lesson for yeah, uh, yeah, for and that's a good listening. one. It's a great, great lesson. You know, and it's still there is elements in there that you know work for us, right? I mean, we'll go back to the visual. Frogs are visual. We know what they look like. You know, you ponds. Mean, yeah, and I like the fact that you know you had those two scrawny frogs. Right? Yeah, you know, they you could have just said, oh, you know, you brought two frogs back, but just paying them. Those scrawny little frogs, uh, I think that added to the story as well. And you know, if I, was to, if I was to think about things that would make it an even better story, I would like to be able to visualise that restaurant a little bit more or uh, visualise the farmer or you know, something about the characters in the story perhaps. I don't know. That might be layering too much on it, but at the same time, you, know, you just want to Yes, they're the sort of things to play with, right? Absolutely. So, you know, the, the farmer walked in, you know, he had the overalls and the, the straw hat and, uh, um, you know, looking like he'd been working in the field all day. Yes, exactly. Just simple things like that would just yep. really add a bit to the story. Um, good. What about how would you use this? I know you've already put it to use, right? I, I have because in the workshop yesterday, one of the uh, participants was talking about an initiative that had been undertaken that has been has delivered fantastic results. It's delivered $8 million in, uh, in, in savings to the company. And um, they've actually done it with a huge amount of analysis. They're monitoring the situation closely. But there's a couple of things that have gone wrong for clients. So there might be a 1,000 instances. There was one or two where it didn't go well. And there's a whole bunch of the sales folks who are going, this system doesn't work. Yeah, so noisy system frogs. Yeah. And so I sent it to him and I said, well, you know, you talked yesterday about how there's a few salespeople who were saying they're pointing to these errors and going, you know, the whole thing doesn't work. Yep. Well, maybe you can use this in the form of what we call an influence story. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the nice thing about that is that as soon as you put it in terms of this story about the frogs, you can then start referring to the frogs, not referring to the salespeople. Absolutely. So it makes it much less offensive. Yeah. You take it one... Le- arm's length away from the real people. Yeah, you can you can actually put the story on the table in the center of the room yep. and point to the story. Yes. Right? And and no one is particularly attached to the story, but the principle is embedded in the story. Yeah. So yeah. it's actually a very, very useful device yes. for getting people to be open to a new way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've seen um, psychologists use this to help 
uh, tackle really tough issues of things like um, bulimia and, and, and issues like that, where if you focus on the actual uh, person who's suffering the bulimia, it doesn't, they don't change. But if they talk about a story and take it outside that person, there's a much greater chance for a behaviour change. So Absolutely. Same sort of thing. And so in our workshops, we talk about a particular pattern called an influence story pattern. Yep. And this story, the example of the, of the million frogs, could easily be used as an influence story to help open people's minds to a different way of thinking. Yeah. So it's, it's the idea of a pull strategy rather than, than trying to push someone to change. Indeed. So um, that's how I used it. It probably raises an issue of, um, you know, these apocryphal stories. Are there things to avoid in using apocryphal stories? You know, in the early days of Anecdote, I ran a mile from apocryphal stories. I think I was put off by people doing fairy tales and things like that in organisations. I've seen it happen a few times where they would run some sort of exercise where you had to, you know, create a fairy tale. And it just drove me nuts. And so from that point, I went, no, I'm not going to do that. But over the years, I've seen the power of these apocryphal stories. And I think they're, they're great if used with, you know, sort of sprinkled on rather than, you know, thickly layered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they be- can become a metaphor for describing an issue or a challenge yeah. or a strategy. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. The, well, the question I have is, you know, how much do you say that this is an apocryphal story versus leaving the audience to work it out? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question because if you start by saying, well, this is untrue, then kinda, it's kind of not going to work. Yes, that's right. You so, want to have them in two minds. You want people to be thinking, oh, maybe this is true. Maybe the alternative way of doing it is to actually you know, start with your relevant statement, which is you know, the, the good practice, uh, then tell the story and then land your point and then say, it's now obviously this is an apocryphal story. It has some relevance to our current situation though. Yeah, I think putting it at the end, you yeah. know, coming clean, if you like, at the yeah. end makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because there are some apocryphal stories that sound just like very true stories, right? You don't want to be giving the impression that you're, um, you know, giving people the fair dinkum facts when in fact you're not doing that at all, right? Okay, great. Fantastic. So where would you use it? It's, uh, well, you've, you've used it in that situation of, uh, you know, just helping people understand, you know, a scenario that was going on in the organisation. I think too, um, you know, it's just sort of like the squeaky wheel gets more oil. It's that type of story, isn't it? So Absolutely. Any situation like yeah. that would be where people are jumping to conclusions. Yep. You know, they're taking one small incident and extrapolating uh, either good or bad as a result of a single incident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good. Now, just a few thoughts, I guess, before we finish on the the use of these apocryphal stories. I mean, there's some real benefits to using them because they're obviously untrue and they're much less offensive than uh, than perhaps real-life examples. Uh, yes, especially so, when they're negative. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, there's one big pitfall with these apocryphal stories and that it, that's about overuse. In fact, I wrote a blog piece on this uh, in January uh, about uh, the overuse of some of these stories. And the point is that even if a story is absolutely fantastic, if you use it too much or if the audience has heard it before where it's become a hackneyed story... yes. It loses its power. It might be an absolutely fantastic story, but your credibility and authenticity are not increased if people have heard it before multiple times. What's your favourite hackneyed story? Oh, well, I've got several, but 
my favorite hackneyed story, one that I think you should run a mile from using, is the story about the two CEOs who were in the jungle and they're walking through the jungle and they see a lion and the lion's got their scent and is stalking them. And it's pretty obviously lion is... Uh, Going to eat a meal. He's going he's to have a feed. And so um, there's panic sets in, but one of the CEOs sits down and removes from his backpack a pair of runners and takes off his big heavy walking boots and puts on a pair of runners. And the other CEO looked at him and said, you're a fool, man. You can't outrun that lion. The CEO putting on the runners turns to his friend and says, I don't have to outrun the lion. I only have to outrun you. <laughs> right, so... It's kind of a good story, yeah. but oh man, please don't use it because it's overused and you might find some people who haven't heard it, but a lot of people have. Have, yeah. So those stories you really want to avoid. Good story, overused. Yeah. Actually, just a reminder me, because there's so many stories now on the interweb and especially Facebook seems to be using a lot of stories just to entice you to do different things. I had one text of me the other day about essentially a, a limousine that was, uh, you know, sort of uh, driving along and it broke down and this mechanic happened to be driving past. Helps the chauffeur, they fix the limousine. He doesn't get to see who's in the limousine, all, you know, darkened windows, etc. Fix the limousine, off he goes on his merry way. A number of months later, he happens to meet the same uh, chauffeur and they found out his name and things like that. And within a couple of days, he looked into his bank account and his mortgage had been paid off. And his mortgage was paid off by the person in the car. Guess who it was? Donald Trump. Oh, no. Yes. Yes, true. And Sorry, true? A true no, story? Tr- no, not true. So, <laughs> so the guy who was telling me this really believed it was a true story, Right. Because he even prefaced it by saying, I think this is a true story. It was told to me by my pastor. That was Oh, credibility. Right. And oh. so, but I had to say to him, look, I'm pretty sure, look, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that that's, you know, a story that's just going around the web because other people have said, oh, I've heard versions of that with uh, other rich people. Oh, right? yes. It's like the lamb shank and, uh, you know, like take, cutting the lamb shank off before putting it in the oven. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. you know, so you've got to be careful about when you hear a story and you think, oh, that's a great story. It's worth just doing a little bit of a check on the internet to sort of see if it's just a meme that's going around doing the, you know, sort of doing the rounds of Facebook because you don't, again, want to be caught out telling something when, you know, with your hand on heart saying this is true when in fact it's not. It's just going to make you look silly. Yeah. So there's two very good reasons why you want to be very careful about using these sorts of apocryphal stories. And probably the extension that's worth just finishing on with this is that even though the apocryphal story is, of course, of dubious origin, it's potentially useful because we make it clear, or it's clear from the story itself, that it's of dubious origin. That's not true. The worst thing that you can do is to then take a leap of logic that says, oh, making stories up is fine, right? Because it's not. Um, If you start to make stories up and use them in a business context, chances are people will either see through it or they will find out that it's actually made up, in which case your credibility and authenticity will be forfeit. Yep, absolutely. So so please don't make them up. There's no need. There's so many great stories that you have and that that are out there in the world that you can use. Okay, let's wrap this up. So let's have a do our ratings here on this one, Mark. Um, well, what do you reckon? Story, so you go first. Well, you know, 
I think this is probably further down on my uh, list. I would say I would give this story a a five. Uh, Whoa! And dagger to the heart. Yes, that's right. A five, and and probably because it's not the style of story I'd probably tell. So that just doesn't mm-hmm. fit into the sort of story I would ha- I'd have in my back pocket. But also for me. Like you said, it probably needs to be rounded out to be a stronger story so that when the, the punchline is delivered, we know exactly what the point is. And I think that was the bit that was missing. But, you know, as we were saying, that's a practice and sort of a, you know, yeah. sort of a rounding out of the story. What about you? So uh, I, I would give it a six, a yeah. six out of ten. I really lo- like the story because it sort of teased out a couple of important issues about storytelling that we can, you know, for this podcast. Yep. But in terms of utility, I mean – it's got limited utility, but I have already used it as helping a client with an influence story. There you so, go. So, yeah, even though it's a six, it's still it's still potential. Sorry, it has potential application. Fantastic. Well, anything else before we finish off, Mark? Uh, only the usual reminder that if this story has triggered out any, any experiences of your own that you want to share, please go to our podcast website, uh, anecdote.com forward slash podcast, and, and let us know your story. And it may well be featured on a forthcoming issue of Anecdotally Speaking. That's great. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, guys, for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. And, of course, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Stories to Work. Mm-hmm.